Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. I would like to say we could slow down a little bit, but I'm probably going to have to go even faster. All right, verses 33 through 35. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. Now when, when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. Verse 35, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for, for a time appointed. So it appears here that some are persuaded by the preaching of these witnesses and there is an angel preaching from heaven as well at this time. But because of their belief, they're put to death. Because of their ability to help others understand, they are put to death. And so we, we rejoice that we have it so easy. They believe the, uh, the witnesses, they trust the Messiah is coming, and then some of them fall. They die. Look at Revelation 11, real fast. You know, I, I, I don't want to know what I would do in these situations. I like to think I would stand strong, and I would like to think that uh, I, would, I would trust the Lord unto, unto death. But I thank God that I don't have to find out. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, uh, and, and, when they, and, when they, uh, and when they shall have finished their testimony... Uh, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So obviously some terrible things going on here. But the Antichrist will not only go after those who believe, but he'll put the, the two witnesses to death. Uh, look at, hold your place in Revelation, look at Luke 21. So I, all this stuff is going on in the background. 
the, the witnesses are preaching, angels are preaching from heaven, people are dying, uh, wars are going on, but all these battles are happening, all this stuff's going on, all in the background. Um, verses 20 through 24. Verse 20, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, oh, he got it, uh, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of, of it depart out of out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now that, that's the hard part. All this death and everything is prophesied. It's going to happen. It's too bad that it has to, but it's going to happen. Verse 23, But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be a great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. Uh, verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Um, back to Revelation, look at verse 6. Verse 6, chapter 6. Chapter 6, and we'll read verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, that's what I want. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And the white robe and, and white robes were given. Uh, unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren uh, that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, now I mean, th- there's so much to talk about in those verses. The, the main part being that the Lord is consoling people under the altar in heaven who were murdered for, for, for the word of God, were murdered for their testimony, and he tells them, just, just rest a little while. Others are going to be murdered just like you are. And God's not going to stop it. And, and this is what's difficult because in our minds we think, shouldn't God stop that? Shouldn't God not let that happen to me? But if you remember in Daniel, those three Hebrew boys They told Nebuchadnezzar, you throw us in the fire if you want to. God can get us out. God can deliver us. But but the way that they worded it was either either he will deliver us from the fire or he will deliver us by that fire. Either he's going to take us out of that fire and we're going to come out unharmed or that fire is going to kill us and we're still going to be with God because we are not bowing to your image. Can you have that mentality? That's hard. It's hard to think about God in that, in that context. And it, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to be so spiritually minded that, that I think God can get me out of this situation of death. Or I'm going to go through this situation of death and I'm going to go be with the Lord. Either way is okay. But is it? <laughs> Are you okay with that? 
That's God's mentality. I mean, he tells these people, you were slain for the word of God. Others are going to come join you. Just rest for a little while. Uh, You know, I don't want to be one of them. (laughs) But it could be. We're, We're heading towards a weird time in the world at large. Who knows what's coming next? Revelation 13. Verses 5 through 10. Verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in, the, in, in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, uh, and, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So um, he, he's, he's going to war with the saints. And, and to a large extent, he's going to prevail. He's going to have his way. He's not going to be stopped. Look at chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. Uh, verse 12. Um, Here is the patience of the saints... Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now that... That, that may or may not be a reference to people who were put to death. It could be people who just diligently served the Lord and died in the Lord. Uh, but, but during the tribulation, first half and second half, second half, he is going after the saints of God and putting them to death. And they are resisting him. Many are tell, standing up to him and saying, I don't care what you do to me. I'm not trusting you. You're not changing my mind about, about God, about Jesus Christ, whatever it is. Whatever it is about God they are clinging to, they refuse to give it up. And they're willing to, t- to, to take it unto death. Back to Daniel 11. Daniel 11, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. So with the majority of this of his opposition now gone, he begins to magnify himself and speak against the true God. And um, I think everybody here is familiar with Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. That's Lucifer saying, I will, I will exalt my throne. I will lift up. I will, I will. And, and the Antichrist learned all he knows from his father, the devil. He's exalting himself. He is all he's concerned about. Um, He talks like him. He exalts himself like him. And he will meet the same end as as Lucifer. Um, You know, self-will and self-exaltation is probably the, the, the largest and most dangerous religion in existence. And you run into that more than you run into anything else. How many people think so highly of themselves? You ask them, are you a sinner? (laughs) Not me. Really? You don't believe that. No, I'm not a sinner. (laughs) And you really have to think, you really have to think highly of yourself to be able to say with a straight face, I'm not a sinner. You know you are. 
And so that, that, that's, that's where we are today. Everybody's so, so excited about themselves. Look at social media. Here, here's a thousand selfies of me for your pleasure. <laughs> look at me. Oh, look at me here. And look at me here. Look at what I'm eating. Look where I am. Look what I'm doing. Nobody cares about you. Or your 10,000 selfies. But they think people do. Well, I got 100 likes. <laughs> okay, well... I could put a picture of a dog licking his behind on there and he'd get 100 likes. I don't understand what, what's so special about that. But people are, they're so, social media has helped them to become so self-absorbed and that is a characteristic of Satan and the Antichrist. The Bible says esteem others better than yourself. And instead everybody's like, oh, look at me, look at me. Let me take 30 of those in case I need all of them. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. I, 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 don't, I can't relate. Sorry. Not, not that I'm so selfless that I can't relate. I'm sure I have plenty of other issues. That's not one of them. All right. That that is determined shall be done. There will be no stopping this. That, that's the difficulty, of reading, the difficulty of reading all this. God is telling you these things are going to happen And nothing will stop them. The death, those people who have to stand up for themselves, all of it. The Antichrist having his way, his lying, his flattery, all of it. It's all going to happen. And and it's, it's coming. Daniel 11, verse 37. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, uh, nor, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God... For he shall magnify himself above all. Now, listen to this. He will magnify himself, right? The characteristics of self-exaltation, based on this verse. He shall not regard the God of his fathers. So one of the first characteristics of self-exaltation, you don't care about the true and living God. He shall not regard the God of his fathers. This would indicate the Antichrist may be a Jew... From Syria. So just because he's coming from Syria doesn't mean he doesn't have some sort of Jewish background. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the commentators think that that Jewish connection is required or they, they may not be willing to, make that, to, to go into the treaty with them. But they have a treaty with the United Nations. They made treaties over the years with Rome. I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's required, but, but this description, certain descriptions of him seem to make him out to possibly be a Jew, the God of his fathers. Well, who would the God of his fathers be? That's often terminology used for the Jews, so it's very possible. He will not regard the desire of women. Apparently, that's a portion, that's, a, that's an aspect of self-exaltation. <laughs> now, what does this mean? This could indicate he is so self-absorbed that he could, not, he could care less about women. That is, as a man, he could care less about relationships with women. Um, or it could mean he prefers someone of the same sexual orientation. Blech. Matthew 24, this is interesting, warned against having to flee when giving suck. This could also indicate the Antichrist has no concern whatsoever for mothers with children as he carries out his rampage. He doesn't care. The next characteristic of self-exaltation, he will not regard 
any God. All of these characteristics together accurately define the attitudes of our current age. What is a woman? Nobody knows anymore. Woman of the year, it's a man. Greatest woman or female swimmer, it's a man. Greatest female weightlifter. You know, it's funny. There's a, um, I, I don't know anything about him really, but there's a, a black rapper from England. I think his name is Zuby. I didn't pick the name. That's his name. I don't know where you come up with that name. But he, for like 24 hours, identified as a woman so he could enter a female weightlifting competition and broke every record in existence for women in in, in weightlifting. And then after the competition was over, he went back to being a man. He did it on purpose to prove a point. I mean, does that not define... No concern for women whatsoever, the desire of women whatsoever. Does that not define our age? You have women who are supposed to be fighting for the rights of women now fighting for the rights of men who call themselves women. Like, I think you, I think they tricked you somewhere. <laughs> because you, you were fighting for the rights of women and now it got flipped and now men are better women than women are. How did that happen? What happened? <laughs> and thank God I'm married. <laughs> I couldn't imagine me trying to be trying to find a wife in the Western world today because now the men who have made themselves women, many of them, you would have no idea. Some of them is blatantly obvious. It's like, dude, go home, put some man's clothes on, do something. But others, you would have no clue. They've done so much surgery and gotten so much done you would have no idea. That's a scary thing. A lot I'd like to say about that, but I will, uh, I will park it there and move on. We got to go. So, uh, but but it, it defines this self-exaltation. It's all about me. I don't believe there's a God. I don't care about God. All I care about is me and what I want. And I want you to see my 10,000 selfies and everything that I eat. And when I went to the bathroom and what restaurant I went to and where I went shopping and the shoes that I bought and what I threw away and what I didn't throw away. And like everything about me is used for exaltation on social media in this modern age. And nobody has a clue what a woman is. I mean, it really fits where we are today. I won't say nobody. I mean, everybody wants to come save Africa, but Africa still knows what a woman is and Africa still knows what a man is. When I came here in 2016, I saw a, uh, a sign outside of a mall for a bathroom and the sign, (laughs) it was a sign that lights up and it was at night and the sign and ladies, forgive me for this description. I I apologize, but I mean, it's, it's, It's in your country. (laughs) The sign lit up of a man urinating and the light followed his stream (laughs) to the the toilet. And then they also had one of the woman at a mall in Kampala. Now, normally I would say that's inappropriate. Why would they put that there? But at the time, there was this big argument in America whether men should be able to use women's restrooms. And here I am in Africa 
looking at a sign that demonstrates they clearly know what bathroom to use. And so part of me was like, man, it's really an inappropriate sign. The other part of me was like, praise God, there's still people who exist who knows what bathroom to use. <laughs> uh, so anyways, sorry. Uh, did we read verse 37? He will magnify himself, the characteristics of this age, um, is self-exaltation. Uh, he shall not regard the God of his fathers. Did we read all that already? Who's teaching this class? All right, verses 38 through 41. Verse 38. We're almost done with chapter 11. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in in the most strongholds uh, with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase the, the, glory, the, the glory and shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. Verse 40. Uh, and, at, and, at, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push, push at him. So now all of a sudden we have the king of the south coming back in the picture again. And this is deep into the tribulation. So I ask again, verses 5 through 20. Is that history or is that, or is that future? That's, that is the mystery. It is a great mystery. <laughs> um, it's sealed to the end. Let's, put, let's leave it that way. <laughs> Seal up the book. and, and <laughs> um, All right, so the king of the south... Shall, shall push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen. These two still haven't learned their lesson. Uh, and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over, verse 41. And he shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but there shall escape out of his hand uh, even Edom and Moab and the chief of, of the children of Ammon. All right, so as we progress through this chapter, we read of several battles the Antichrist will engage in, and it seems that these outlying battles prevent him from discovering the, the remnant or, or taking Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Now, that is, that is to suggest it, it's possible that this remnant is hiding in that region between Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And of course, a lot of people teach that they believe that they're going to flee into Petra. Who knows what Petra is? Anybody? Never heard of it? Well, when you get a chance, look it up. It's, it's, it's worth looking at. It's interesting. It's P-E-T-R-A. Um, now, whether Israel's going to flee there or not, who, who knows? That, that is completely people's imagination. Nobody has a clue where they're going to go and where they're going to hide. Though, I can see this connection between Edom, Moab, and Ammon because they are able to escape the wrath somehow of the Antichrist. So if the remnant is hiding in that region, which in that region, Petra is in that region. And what Petra is, is it's an ancient rock fortress built into a mountain. It has tunnels and caves. It is elaborately designed, and it is an incredible, seemingly impenetrable fortress. I mean, it would... 
If you wanted to hide in there, you can hide. It'd be hard to find you. Now, the problem is everybody in the world knows it exists. So why would you run somewhere that everybody knows it exists and try to hide there? And, and, but, and there's more to it than that. I, I don't want to be unfair to the idea because the, there, there are plenty of passages that indicate that God is going to somewhat supernaturally help to hide this remnant. So it's not just a matter of them finding somewhere to escape. They are told to flee into the wilderness and they are told to go and hide, but God's going to be assisting them. So, so there is a supernatural aspect to it. So maybe they could go to Petra and everybody knows Petra exists, but God hides them somewhere in Petra so that, that, that they're not discovered. It, it, I guess it's possible. But somehow Edom, uh, Ammon, and, and, um, and Ammon being Jordan, essentially. In fact, that one of their main cities is called Ammon. I've been there. And um, uh, then, then Moab and, and, and Edom, all, all these people who wanted nothing to do with Israel when they're coming out of the wilderness... Well, now it seems that as Israel goes to hide in the wilderness, they might hide in, in, in one of these places. So it's very interesting how those tables have turned. Now, um, it may be that the remnant are hiding somewhere in, in, in this region. The Antichrist will cause other men to rule over the world with him. This may be related to the ten kings who assist the Antichrist in his rise. Look at Revelation 17. I'm going to have to move over here because it's dark back here uh, with those lights off. Revelation 17. I'm struggling to read over there. My eyes are bad enough and then to read in darkness. Revelation 17 and uh, verses 11 through 13. And, and if you remember this, so before we read it, Daniel 2, you have the ten toes, right? Daniel 7 and 8, you have those ten kings that, that the Antichrist is going to rise out of. And so now here we are in uh, Revelation 17. What did I say? 11 through 13. Uh, verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as, as, as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So these ten kings are part of the, the, that final kingdom that's supposed to come and the Antichrist rises out of it. Now it's interesting that they're mentioned this late, their, their, their loyalty to the Antichrist is mentioned this late in the book of Revelation, though I believe they're mentioned in other places. Um, it's this kingdom, this final kingdom, is who Jesus is coming back to put down. And when that final kingdom is put down along with the Antichrist, the time of the Gentiles are over. Israel is restored, and we move into the millennium, and then we move into the new heaven, new earth, and, and, and all those things take place. Of course, there are judgments and all the other wonderful things that are coming. The Antichrist will divide the land for gain. The world is moving in a direction in which there is no private property. Now, again, there are countries around the world, America included, where uh, private property has been a staple of our governmental system. And, and the Bible teaches the idea of private property. 
remember that the, the parable of the man who had the garden or the, the, the vineyard and he goes out and he hires people and he says, can I, can I do with my, my own what I want? It's mine. That, that's a biblical principle. God, God seems to teach repeatedly that if you own something, it's yours. When he gave land to, to the Jews, um, was it, is it um, Achan? What's the guy's name that owned the vineyard and Nabom wanted his vineyard and, and you know, was crying to Jezebel to get his vineyard? Anyways. Huh? Nabom owned the vineyard? What was the king's name? Ahab. That's it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Anyways, but, but if you think about that, in, that entire scenario is based on a man not willing, a Jew not willing to give the land that God gave him to the king of Israel. Refused to do it. And they, they killed him over it. And so we're, we're coming to a point in time, and all this is demonstrating that, that we're coming to a place where you won't be able to own anything. You'll get what you're given. And that's it. Well, as an American, we're already far past what, what used to be property rights in America. Now, all you got to do is not pay, you know, your, your property taxes, which there shouldn't be property taxes. It's my property. I own it. Well, not according to the government, you don't. <laughs> Uh, you own it, but you, you basically rent it for life from the government. And that rent goes up continually. <laughs> and so if you don't pay it, they come and take it from you. And that's, that's just how it is. And so we're moving closer and closer in America, a place where property rights was such a foundational idea, it's, it's going away. And when it goes away from America, there are not many places left in the world where that's an idea. You drive around Uganda and people spray paint on their house, my house is not for sale. Because they might go to work today and their neighbor will sell their house. And they're stuck in years-long legal battles to get their house back. That's not property rights. It just, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous idea. And so uh, we've never had to deal with that, but it's coming. It's, it's, it's coming, it's coming rapidly, and it looks like it's coming worldwide, and the Antichrist is going to take control of it. And that's part of the idea, is to try and put people in a position that they have to be loyal to him. You can get rid of all this difficulty right now. Are you hungry? Are you tired? I'll give you the, the nicest place to rest. I will give you the best food. All you've got to do is come and take the mark. That's all you've got to do. And if you don't take that mark, you have no, no other choice. You have nothing. You're hungry. You're in the wilderness. You're hiding. You're nigh unto death. They're hunting you down to kill you. And all you got to do to get out of all that is take the mark. It's going to be a rough spot. Verses 42 to 45, Daniel 11. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the, the, the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things. You see that? He's got power over all the treasures. Um, uh, the things of Egypt and, and the Libyans and Ethiopians and shall be, at, uh, shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and to utterly make, uh, make away many. 
And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. All right. So the Antichrist will will fight endless battles. Um, I heard one preacher say that he thinks he thinks that these endless battles he's engaged in are part of the mercy of God. As he begins looking for that remnant, trying to destroy that remnant, another army marches on him. So he's got to go turn his attention to that. Then he goes back to looking for the remnant and another march, army marches on him. And it's just constantly tied up with all these battles. And, and that's what the Antichrist is going to be dealing with the entire time as he's trying to exalt himself as God. You can't even defeat some armies on earth. But you want me to worship you. God can send one angel and take out 185,000 men overnight like it's nothing. Jesus said, I, I can just speak the words. I'm letting them take me. I'm allowing them to arrest me. If I wanted this to come to an end, I just say it. And it's over. And the Antichrist is like, I, I got to go fight another war. I got to go fight this war. Now these people are marching and I got to go fight this war. And it's just this constant battles and constant. It's like a cat chasing his tail in a circle, just going around, around, around. But he has a lot of power. <laughs> he jumped to Quinta. He's crawling around in your shirt. Now he's back to Skyler. This is fun. Let's see how, how many people is he going to jump on? <laughs> All right, so, so chapter 12, let's jump into that. All right, so we've got 30 minutes to go through 13 verses. Should be easy, right? All right, verse 1, let's just, just start verse by verse. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Now, now just real fast, let's, let's go back. Verse 45, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his uh, palace between the sea and in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Whose people? All right, so who's this about? Israel, the Jews. Nothing has changed. And now that there, some of this has consequences for Gentiles who believed, and Gentiles who trusted, and Gentiles who made it to the end, and all that, and all that's fine. But we, we know the time of Jacob's trouble is about Israel, all right? The outlying consequences for other people is just a side factor. But the concentration here is Israel, all right? Um, uh, Thy people, and there shall be a, a time of trouble such as never was since uh, there was a nation, even to the, 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 the same time, even to that same time. Now, what's that, what, what does that phrase immediately take your mind to? Who, who said something almost exactly the same? We just read it a few minutes ago. Jesus Christ, Matthew 24. Remember after verse 15, right around verse 17, 18, and Matthew 24. Actually, I think I wrote it down. Verse 21, there will be great tribulation such as the world has never seen. That's what we're describing here. That's what we're talking about here. All right. Um, there was a nation, uh, since there was a nation even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, 
everyone that shall be found written in the book. So who's going to be delivered? Again? Anyone written in the book? The Jews who are written in the, Thy people who are found written in the book, they're going to be delivered. Your name's not in that book, you're not going to be delivered. All right, now just a quick introduction as we continue through the final chapter. I remind you that, Dan, that Daniel 10 through 12 are one continuous narrative uh, that build one upon the other. Daniel is praying in chapter 10, which stirs the Lord to send him a series of angels to speak with him. Uh, the angel says he came to make Daniel understand, and then the understanding is given in chapter 11. Finally, chapter 12 serves as a summary of what we are given in chapter 11. So they, they build upon each other. Um, in the, the end of the Antichrist, we, we read about in verse 45, he's coming to an end. All right? You need to outlast him if you're here. <laughs> if you're not here, praise the Lord. If you are here, you, you didn't trust in Jesus. <laughs> do, it, do it after now, you don't get the same thing. You trust in Jesus now. You're, you're trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're made part of the body of Christ. It's a special dispensation. It's a special thing for us. You trust in Jesus after, you get to go to the kingdom. <laughs> That's it. All right, so everything given to us as Christians, because we trusted in Jesus Christ, it's it's. It's unbelievable what's made available to us because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Once you get past the, the rapture, you're just trying to stay alive and make it to the kingdom. That's it. And not take the mark. All right. So that, that's where we are. The, king, the kingdoms of the nations of the earth, as we previously discussed, seem to have spiritual representation in the first and second heaven. Michael is the prince for Israel. Right, we looked at that fairly extensively a couple times back. Uh, there shall be a time of trouble. We read about that in Matthew 24, 21, the great tribulation. Daniel 12 is dealing with the second half of the tribulation. All right, verse 1 sets that tone. Michael's going to stand up, and then there's going to be tribulation like you've never seen before. Right? Now, Michael's standing up might be part of what we just talked about, the Lord helping that remnant hiding in the wilderness. Michael is responsible for the nation of Israel, and so that might be what he's standing up to go and do. Uh, they, might, they might understand, here we go, it's starting. He said, thy people delivered, um, and people written in the book. Typically through scripture, this book is the Lamb's book of life. People's names are written in this book until they reject God. So it's just an important detail your name is not added to the book of life. It's there already. When you reject God, when you reject truth, when you reject Jesus Christ, your name is blotted out of the book. So the question is, when you stand before God in the tribulation, whether, whether it's uh, at, at judgment time, whatever, it, whatever, whatever time it is for you to stand before God, is your name going to be blotted out of that book or is your name going to be in that book? Now, for us, it's based on whether we trusted in Jesus Christ or not. Did you trust in the Lord? Yes. Your name is in the book. Did you reject the Lord? Yes. We blotted you out. And, and this is, you, 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 
you, you see how this works when you think about Luke 16. You have Lazarus and who? What's his name? He was blotted out. Don't have it. All right, so, so you don't want to be in that position. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ if you have not, which I presume everyone here has. Um, the people's names are written in the book, and then they're blotted out if they reject the Lord. Daniel's people are fleeing and resisting, trying to stay away from the mark of the beast. They're doing their best to hide, to get away. Uh, if the mark is taken, you are guaranteed damnation. Your name would be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. That, that's how it's going to be handled in the tribulation period. Did you take the mark? Yes. Your name is blotted out. You're damned. But I was hungry. You're damned. I, I, I sent you two witnesses who preached to you. I sent 144,000 who preached to you. I sent an angel flying around heaven preaching to you. Don't take the mark. Jesus is coming. This is not the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. Yeah, but I was hungry. It's going to be hungry in hell also. Don't take the mark. Verses 2 through 4. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's a very interesting passage. Verse 3. And they that... Be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn away to, to righteousness uh, as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Here we go again. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, is that not true? As we move closer to the time of the end, you could pick up a phone and have the collection of the world's knowledge right in your hand in an instant. Knowledge has increased. Access to knowledge has increased exponentially around the world. But wisdom hasn't. Understanding hasn't. And, and, and there's a major gap there. All right, now we got a lot to talk about here, and I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can because we got 20 minutes to get through the rest of the chapter. Many of them, the context here relates to Daniel's people. They will be resurrected, but they are not given everlasting life. Everybody see that in in verse 2. Some are, others are not. What's the difference? They are sleeping in the dust, but they will be awakened. So there's going to be a resurrection during this time. There are going to be multiple resurrections during this time. But, it, but, but it's all under the banner of the first resurrection, which is interesting because it's the third resurrection. But God calls it the first resurrection. So there are three parts to the resurrection. There's the harvest. Who remembers what the three parts are? Well, the harvest, the harvest is the resurrection. There are three parts. It's one. Do you know? That's two parts. You're, you're leaving out your resurrection. <laughs> so there's the first fruits, the main harvest, and the gleanings. 
All right, those are the three parts. The gleanings take place in the tribulation and has multiple parts to it. All right, when we don't have time to go over it all, we're going we're to talk about some of it. The first fruits took place in Matthew 27, 50 through 53. When Jesus rose from the dead, several saints came from the dead with him. Right? Everybody remember that? Everybody know that? You can read about it more later. Ephesians 4 says he took the saints in paradise with him when he took captivity captive. So Jesus Christ rises from the dead. Some Old Testament saints rise with him and just walking around Jerusalem like this is normal. <laughs> and when the Lord, the Lord says, don't touch me, I've not ascended to my father. And then in the same chapter, he comes right back and everybody's touching him, which means he must have ascended to his father. Well, Ephesians 4 says that when he ascended, he took captivity captive. He took paradise with him. Those who are in that holding, he took with them, with him up to heaven. So paradise makes its shift up to heaven, though it, it seems to still be an entity in heaven. So the people in paradise, while paradise is in heaven, they are still in paradise. They have not been set free, as far as we know, to roam around heaven. Does that make sense? All right, so all that still exists. Second is the main harvest. And the main harvest, you and I, we've all read about it a hundred times. You should already pretty much know about it. But it's the rapture of the church. There will be a resurrection of the dead, and they'll be raptured first. Then the church, those who remain alive, will also be raptured, and we'll all go up to meet the Lord in the air. Yes, sir. Oh, I don't know. That, that's a lot of speculation. I don't know about that. Um, I'm asking. So by the time of that, that marriage, so they are, you are going to still be in the, in the paradise as you have seen? It's possible. I don't, I'd, I'd have to double confirm that. It, it seems that people in paradise, it seems, are going to be judged at the great white throne of judgment. So it's a different judgment. So it's, it's, it, they could be. Um, but, 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 but I don't know. We don't have time to go into it right now, though. All right, so, so that's, the, that's the church being raptured and, and, and taken away. The, the dead in Christ will go first, then we, we which are alive and remain will go second, all right? And, and we'll all meet the Lord in the air. Then number three are the gleanings. Look at Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Um, Revelation 11, verses 3 through 12. We'll read as much of this as we can, but we've got to go quickly. Uh, and I will give power unto my, my two witnesses, and... They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, I'm just going to tell you this one. This is, this is part of it, but, I, I, but I'm just going to tell you what, what's happening here. Um, so you can read verses 3 through 12, but these two witnesses, they're, they're going to come out strong. They're going to be going around preaching. They're going to be doing everything that God told them to do. But then they're going to be put to death. They're going to be dead in the streets for who knows how long. It's very interesting. Anybody? Three and a half days. Isn't that interesting? So we're talking about the tribulation, which is seven years, two parts, three and a half years each. And these men are going to lie on the streets dead for three and a half days. I don't know what the connection is to anything. I just think it's really interesting. So, but then they are risen from the dead and called up to heaven. So that's, that's a resurrection in this book, Revelation 7. We'll, we'll, we'll just get the context real fast of this next one and basically do the same thing. Revelation 7, verses um, 1, 
1 through 4. We'll read these real fast. Uh, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the, of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from uh, the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth. Is this what I'm looking for? Yeah, verse four. And I heard the number of them. So back to verse three, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed and and there were sealed um, an hundred forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. All right. Now, so you have these tribulation uh, witnesses um, that they're, they're also going to be raptured out. Um, more Jews who died during the tribulation period. Look at Ezekiel 37. Uh, the. Who knows the context of Ezekiel 37? Anybody remember? The dry bones. This is during the same period. The dry bones, God's going to resurrect them. And again, we don't have time to read all of it, but we'll, we'll read just a little bit to get some context. Uh, maybe we'll read all 11 through 14. We'll read it. Uh, verse 30, or chapter 37, verses 11 through 14. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these, these bones are the whole house of Israel, Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore, I prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord, the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up uh, out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you where? So this is not, this is a resurrection, but it's not a rapture. They're not going up to heaven. They're not being risen from the dead to go to heaven. Israel is going to be risen from the dead and put back in their land. Everybody see that in the context. So if you keep going uh, in your own land, then you shall know that I, the Lord, uh, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came unto me again, and he, and he keeps going, and he, and he sort of reiterates it. So um, they're not being risen from the dead. So it's, you know, these, res- these other tribulation saints that we looked at, the two witnesses, the 144,000 other people who died during that period, during the tribulation, they're going to be risen from the dead and then called up to heaven as part of the, 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 the rapture. A rapture, the, the, the gleanings, right? Israel is going to be risen from the dead, the whole house of Israel, and they're going to be taken into their land. They're going to stay in the kingdom. Everybody with me so far? All right, good. Uh, these are the Jews who died during the tribulation period. God calls these dead Jews uh, in the earth to rise from the dead. They are raised up to form an army and to go into the promised land. During the tribulation, in order to be one of God's saints, one of the requirements is to refuse to take the mark of the beast, which means you reject the Antichrist and you you designate him as the false Messiah. You don't take that mark. But again, all that does, if you stay alive, is get you into the kingdom. The other part of that is you you have to reject the Antichrist, but you have to receive 
Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah. And then that, that adds to your ability to get into the kingdom some sense of eternal, lasting presence, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't want to call it eternal life, though that's sort of what it equates to. Um, Romans 11, look at Romans 11 real fast. And uh, we'll read verses 11 through 15. I say then, had they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some. For if the casting away of them be the, the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but what? Life from the dead. That's going to happen. Now, Paul, Paul, what Paul is saying is, in, in this instance, is I'm, I'm sent right now to deal with Gentiles, and I'm going to do that. But I wish I could save them who are after my flesh. Though I can't save them now, a day is coming when they, will be, when they will be restored. But it would be better if they trusted like I have, like the Apostle Paul has, now. It, it's always better to be part of the body of Christ. It, that seems to be the greatest place to be in God's program. If you can get in the body of Christ... You, you get riches and honor and exaltation and inheritance and all these things that belong to Jesus Christ simply because you trusted him when you had the chance. We don't just not go to hell. We not go to hell and, and get this massive pile of riches that we don't deserve. Why? Because I trusted in Jesus. Because I trusted in Jesus, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> That, that's, that's incredible. I hope you fully grasp that. Um, when Israel is cleansed through tribulation, the receiving of them will be life from the dead. But when they're given that life, what, what's going to happen to them next? Here's your land. You, you see the difference between the church and Israel. I, our promise is to be with Jesus wherever he is, and right now that's in heaven. Their promise is, that's your land. I'm giving your land back. All the promises I made regarding that land. Revelation 20. Verses 4 and 5. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. So you see everything that's required. It's the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. I didn't take the mark. I did not worship the beast. I had nothing to do with those things. I trusted Jesus. All right. So here, here they are standing before the throne. Uh, neither had received his mark in their foreheads nor in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until... 
the thousand years were finished, this is what? The first resurrection. Those who were slain during the tribulation will be resurrected at the end of the, tribu- of the tribulation. The rest of the dead are resurrected after the thousand years, but it calls these two resurrections together the first resurrection. And it's actually the third, <laughs> at least. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's how, you know, you know and, and I, I, I don't have, we don't have time to go into it, but, but there, there are some suggestions as to why the Lord calls this the first resurrection. And, it, and it, it's not to disconnect it from the first two resurrections because the Bible as a whole teaches all three resurrections and raptures as, as one unit, the harvest. But it's broken into three parts. But then all three of those parts have multiple parts themselves. Jesus is the first fruits along with the saints that rose from the dead with him. Well, that's two resurrections. Um, the, the church, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, that's the first part. The second part, we which are alive and remain shall go up and meet him in the air. So that's the second part. So it, that one resurrection and rapture has two parts. And then you get in the tribulation and you have multiples of them and, and, and they end up being called the first resurrection. All right. And then Isaiah 26, 12 through 9. We don't, we don't have time to read it. I'm just going to tell you, or 12 through 19. Um, I'm going to tell you what's there. It's, it's, it's pertinent to what we read in Daniel. Awake and seeing ye that dwell in the dust. Now Daniel 12 said that they are in the dust waiting to be resurrected. This is talking about Israel and the tribulation in Isaiah 12, um, or 26, excuse me. And then verses 20 through 21, the people are hiding until the indignation is passed. And then the Lord will raise their dead if they do not take the mark. That, that's packaged into Isaiah 26, verses 20 through 21. Um, Isaiah 26, 4. Now, this is interesting. Let's look at this real fast. Um, this is worth taking up more of Monica's time. Isaiah 26. This is very interesting. Now, the context of this chapter are people going, the nation of Israel going through this time of indignation, which we know is the tribulation. Uh, at the end of it, the Lord says he's going to, as, as the, they are as the dust, he's going to rise them from the dead, which is exactly what he said in Daniel 12. But this is very interesting. Look at this. So Isaiah 26, 4 where am I? 26, verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So what's the context of what we're about to read? The Lord Jehovah, right? Now look at this. This is, this is a blessing. Verse 19. Thy dead shall live together with what? My dead body. Who's talking? Jehovah's talking. Your dead shall live with my dead body, shall they arise, awake and seeing ye that dwell in the dust. For, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. He's telling Israel, I'm going to take on a body and die. And as my body rose from the dead, I'm going to rise your bodies from the dead. Which is pretty interesting. So, so that, that, that takes you back to 
you must be born again. And the Lord talking to Nicodemus, he's like, I got to crawl back in my mother's womb. And what, how does that work exactly? He's like, how do you not know these things? They, 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 there are hints and ideas of all these things all through the Old Testament, and they should have known, and they failed to. Um, now, uh, back to Daniel 12, real fast, and, and we'll just go through as much of this as we can, as much as you can stand and uh, try to finish this. Daniel 12, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So the Lord is going to bring them back from the dead, but, but, but look at this. Um, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. All right, so just because you get into the kingdom doesn't mean you're going to stay. It doesn't mean you're going to last into everlasting life. You see that. Some people are going to meet the requirements to get into the kingdom, but they may, they may end up in shame and everlasting contempt. Others are going to meet the requirements to get in the kingdom and be given everlasting life because of their trust in Jesus Christ. All right. So it's just like we read in Revelation. I I trusted in Jesus. I I died for the word of God. I did not take the mark. I did not worship the beast. I did not worship his image. I didn't do any of that. I'm trusting in Jesus. Well, you're going into the kingdom and you're going to be given everlasting life. Does that make sense? Everybody see what I mean? Okay, good. The book. In this context, it appears to be the book in which Daniel's people are, are written. Um, he talks in, in verse 4, he talks about this book. He says to seal the book. Well, what is that book? Well, in the context, if you look at verse 1, um, at the very end, um, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Well, that, that seems to be possibly a reference to the Lamb, Lamb's book of life. And it's, he's being told to seal it to the end. All right, Daniel 12, verses 5 through 10. Let's read those real fast. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood uh, other two, and one on, one on this side of the bank of the river, and, and one on the other side of the bank of the river. Now, we're going to have a situation here where you, you've got a river, you've got two angels on either side, and somebody standing on the water in the middle. Again, it's very possible, though it's hard to say for certain, it could be Jesus Christ standing in the middle on the water. Uh, And and you'll see that as we go. Verse 6, And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? They're asking this person standing on the waters. Obviously, he knows. Well, who knows the answer to these things? Jesus said, ultimately, it's God the Father. Uh, now, it's reasonable to suggest that, that Jesus might have some indication when these things are going to take place. But the indication he gave is that it's in my Father's power. But they're asking him. Now, his answer is, at the end. <laughs> Stop asking this question. I'm not telling you when it's happening. Uh, verse 7 and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his right hand, uh, his, his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it, it shall be for a time, times, and half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not, then I, O oh my Lord, uh, then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? 
And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So he said, look, this is the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 24. They said, Lord, what is, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? He said, I'm not giving you a sign of my coming at the end of the world. What I'm going to tell you is when you see the abomination of desolation sitting in the holy place, like Daniel said, run. You got three and a half years. You got 40 in two months. You got 1,260 days. You got time, times, and half a time. Run. Try to live for three, three and a half years. That's all I can tell you. I'm not telling you when it's coming. I'm not telling you when it's happening. But when you see the abomination of desolation, you got three and a half years. You better survive. You better hide. All right. So um, verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Um, There appear to be more angels coming to get involved in this conversation Um, And, of course, it's going to last three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. But these things will happen until the time of the end. That's your time frame. All right. Now, we're given some other time, some other notes about time here. And we're going to close out. We're going to read verses 11 through 13. And we'll close out by looking at those briefly. Verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away... And the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end, uh, till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Okay. Let me go through these notes real fast, and hopefully it will make sense to you. 1,290 days. We are introduced to another time frame to consider. And it's longer than our 1,260 days, right? All right, so from the setting up of the abomination of desolation will be 1,290 days. 30 days prior to the sacrifices. Now, I... Listen to what I'm saying before you write too much down, because I don't want you to. I want you to fully understand what, what we're what we're getting at here. Thirty days prior to the sacrifices being stopped, something is taking place related to the 1,290 days. Okay, so that the idea that we have is from the time that the abomination of desolation is set up to the end is 1,260 days, right? Okay, it looks like. Something related to that being set up takes place or begins 30 days prior to the, to the setting up of the abomination of desolation. Does that make sense? 30 days prior would take us out to 1,290 days. All right, so it's not 30 days after the time of the end. It's 30 day, It's actually something is happening 30 days prior to the abomination of desolation being put in its place. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So the last half of the tribulation is how long, how many years? Three and a half years, which is how many months? 42 months, which is how many days? 
1,260 days, okay? Everybody with me so far? All right, so 30 days, that, that, that 1,260 days starts when the Antichrist goes into the temple and sets himself up as God. The, deso- the, the abomination of desolation is standing in the holy place, right? 30 days prior to that, something related to this begins. Are you with me? So that takes us up to 1,290 days. You got it? Now, this 30 days may be taken up by the tribulation witnesses doing battle with the Antichrist unto the death. That what they're doing, they're preaching up to their death takes place around that time just before the abomination of desolation is standing in the holy place. So it's possible. It's not definitive. It's possible that they are so disruptive to what's going on that, that because if you remember, if, if you read it, and, and I already closed it, let me go back and make sure I'm getting my thoughts straight. And, I'm, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make the desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So it's directly related to that being set up, to that being established. So there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, either it was set up, and now you have 30 days before, that, before the, t- the clock starts clicking on the 1,260 days, or something is happening just prior to that that is related to the abomination of desolation being set up. Some men suggested that it, it, t- it takes him time to finally put himself in place in the temple as the abomination of desolation. And that could be part of that 30 days. But it doesn't look like it's taken us past the 1,260 days. It seems to be the the, the abomination of desolation being set up, whether it's taken him time to get it set up, to get the Jews out of there, or, or he's having to secure the area, or it took him a while to make the beast, the image of the beast and all that garbage, or it took a while to to get the wires right, to give it life, whatever it is, there's a 30-day period in there that, that is taking up some time before the 1,260 days begins to start clicking down. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay, good. Are you just saying yes because you want to get out of here? <laughs> yeah, quickly. So that would be like, so it is these 30 days that happen before the abomination is set up that are added to Yeah, so it's it's not technically added. It's just a longer period of time, but I don't think it extends. It's it's a second time period, if that that makes sense. So you have the first time period, which is the 1,260 days. The second time period we're just given is 1,290 days, but it doesn't look like it extends past the 1,260 days. So in other words, it doesn't seem to be 30 days after the 1,260 days, though it could be taken that way because the, 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 um, the, the, the important event is setting up the, the abomination of desolation. So it either, if it's on the front end, it took them a while to establish the, the, the abomination of desolation. And so there was a 30-day period there where certain events were taking place. Does that make sense? If it is after, then it began with the abomination of desolation being put in place and extends 30 days after. All right, and and it could be it could be either, but it I guess in my mind it seems like it's 
before, but then when I read the wording, I also believe it could be after. So you, you pick one and, and stick with it. Um, the warnings of these witnesses may help inform the Jews that the, the time has come for you to flee into the wilderness. So that could be what's happening prior, but you could also take it and say, no, it says the 1,290 days begins when the abomination of desolation is in place, so it could extend 30 days after. All right, so, and, and this, this last chapter makes very clear that when Jesus comes back, puts the enemies down, and, and begins restoring the, or, or at least preparing for the millennial reign, it's not an instantaneous thing. So it, it takes some time for that to happen. And, and that, that seems clear from Daniel 12. Uh, because the next thing that we're given, blesses is he that waiteth. Well, how long? 1,335 days. <laughs> so we're given another time frame. All right, now, This is presented to us. This is 75 days longer than the three and a half years. If the people present um, can make it this long, they will be blessed. Now, here's what seems to be the indication. The judgment of nations may be taking place at this time. Now, here's the problem. If you can make it past this 1,335 days, is that what it is? 1,335 days. The indication seems to be you may have made it past the judgments and you get to go into the kingdom. Now, how would that, how would that go if you lived in Iran, you helped Iran destroy Israel or chase Israel or kill Israel, but you lived till the, tri- till the tribulation was over, only to be judged at the judgment of nations <laughs> and cast into everlasting fire. All right, so the, the indication seems to be there's some blessings. If you can get past this judgment, you're in the kingdom. So you at least get to make it another thousand years before the Lord says, okay, now you've got to go into, into, into everlasting fire unless you've believed in the Lord. All right, so then the final number, what we've talked, we've talked about before, is the 2,300 days, which takes us theoretically, potentially, to the restoration of the temple, the new temple being brought, which is what we talked about back in Daniel 8. All right, what is happening until the end comes? Many are going to run to and fro. They just roam the earth. Knowledge shall increase. This is unbelievably characteristic of our time. This this little device right here has access to nearly all the world's knowledge that has existed for centuries. There's very little I can't figure out with this this device, right? Wisdom hasn't increased. Knowledge has. A lot of people have a ton of knowledge and don't know anything, don't understand anything, are not wise about anything. And um, the last command, go get some rest. (laughs) If you trust in God, you'll be fine. If you don't trust in God, Man, you've got some serious trouble coming your way. All right. Praise the Lord. We made it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. 
Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.